Human Trafficking True Crime covers the exploitation of men, women, and children across the world. Subject matter may not always be suitable for children or those dealing with mental health issues. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know has been trafficked, please contact the Human Trafficking Hotline by texting HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733. Welcome on, welcome all, as we gather together for another episode of Human Trafficking True Crime. I'm your host, Shannon, and with me as always is the girl who plays cowgirl by day and podcast <laughs> host by night, Megan. Hello. <laughs> cowgirl by day. Well, how you kind of have all the right, whole right. get up. I, yes, I do today. <laughs> That's like 90% of your life, though. So yeah, like, it is. But you're pretty urban. Yeah. I mean, I live in a city, so yeah. yeah. City slicker. The urban cowboy. Or a city slicker. <laughs> I have to tell you about this crazy news story because we know I love crazy news stories. Okay. This lady in North Dakota was charged with bringing a raccoon into a bar. Wait, she was charged for that? Yeah, she is facing criminal charges. She's facing a misdemeanor count of providing false information to law enforcement, tampering (laughs) with physical evidence, and unlawful possession of a fur bearers. A fur bearers? Fur bearers. So a raccoon. An animal, basically, yeah. This lady named Erin Christensen is apparently going to be going to court for having a raccoon that she brought into a bar that she said her family rescued from the side of the road. And now health officials had to issue a warning about potential rabies exposure. Oh, my God. So it had rabies, too. Potentially. Oh, we don't geez. know, but it is a Well, you know, raccoons don't really go up to you unless they have rabies. Like, they won't let you touch them. I don't know if that's true, because my friends... <laughs> no, my friends are like wildlife animal rescue people, and they had a raccoon as a pet. It must be a baby raccoon. They, like, totally man. domesticated it, and it was, like, fun, and it would, like, put up <laughs> their little hands, and they... Okay, but this lady sounds like I mean I wouldn't bring it into a bar, but definitely not. Yeah, well, that's that. So (laughs) crazy story for the day. Don't bring raccoons into a bar. Uh, Before we get going with the night tonight's episode, I do want to let everyone know that there is a restock on our sweaters. They are amazing. They're soft and they're all inspired by human trafficking survivors. Also with each purchase, we donate back to C7 Human Trafficking Coalition. And right now we're going to be running a promo code, Megan, to our listeners for 20% off on the Always Enough and Courage Above Fear sweaters. Uh, All you have to do is to use the promo code, which is HTTC2023. Again, that's HTTC2023. You'll receive 20% off, and you just need to go to lastwordbysl.com. Use that promo code HTTC2023 and receive 20% off. That is going on right now while supplies last. So... Without further ado, Megan, will you give us our weekly spotlights for this episode? Yes. Okay, here we go. First, we have Amy Marie, who was 38 years old when she was last seen on August 4th, 2019 in Richardson, Texas. Amy is described as a white female with brown hair and blue eyes. 
She was approximately 5 feet 3 inches tall and weighed around 115 pounds when she went missing. Amy was last seen wearing a black t-shirt and jeans with a silver-colored cross pendant necklace. Anyone with information is asked to call the Richardson Police Department at 972-744-4800, case number 1806007. Next, we have Emilio Matrine, who was 27 years old when he was last seen on July 19, 2019 in Auburn, Washington. Emilio is described as a Hispanic male with graying brown hair and brown eyes. He was approximately six feet tall and weighed around 165 pounds when he went missing. He was last seen in a white vehicle. Anyone with information is asked to call the Auburn Police Department at 253-931-3080. Last, we have Papau, who was 30 years old when she was last seen on April 17, 2016 in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Papau is a native to Thailand and is described as an Asian female with dark brown hair and brown eyes. She was approximately 5 feet 2 inches tall and weighed around 110 pounds when she went missing. Papau was last seen in a white shirt, blue jeans, and pink sneakers with a silver ring and a silver heart necklace. Anyone with information is asked to call the Aberdeen Police Department at 605-626-7003. The use of fraud, force, and or coercion to obtain any type of labor, commercial, or sexual act is by definition human trafficking. Understanding how traffickers use fraud to lure their victims into the industry. Acknowledging the different types of coercion used to compromise a victim and recognizing the styles of force inflicted upon those victims to obtain that labor, commercial, or sexual act is the hard, cold, and ugly truth around human trafficking. It is realizing that with each case, each victim is unique and one of a kind. Each survivor will never share the same story as another. Although oftentimes there will be commonalities and patterns, it is important to remember that each person will fall victim to this crime through different means and methods, styles of exploitation unique only to them and their story. With the use of fraud, force, and coercion, these victims become entangled in that human trafficking web, struggling to do what they can to survive and get by one more day. Tonight's episode covers three people who had situations handed to them in life which led them down a path that was unforeseen by even them. Exploitation through the use of drugs or a partner using fraud to exploit their vulnerabilities and even the unfortunate, disproportionate, and disadvantages plaguing the men and women who make up the native tribes in America. Tonight we give Tiffany Perry, Alyssa McLemore, and Jose Alfaro the last word. All right, Megan, tonight we're doing three separate cases that are each unique and different in their own way, okay. um, but related to human trafficking. So the first case is Tiffany Marie Perry. She was born on Saturday, November 10th, 1979, 
And by 2003, she was just one of the 19.5 million people who battled substance abuse addiction that year, according to the Department of Justice. Unfortunately, that same year, Tiffany would also become one of hundreds of thousands of individuals who go missing each and every year right here in the United States of America. Mm. Tiffany was 23 years old and had started using the alias Treasure and was known to prostitute. Uh, At approximately 6.10 p.m. on June 20th, 2003, Tiffany was seen at the South Central neighborhood near... 7th Avenue and Washington Street in Phoenix, Arizona, which happens to be the same exact intersection where the Phoenix Police Department headquarters is located. Okay. Which I thought that was interesting. And we presume that she was working? There's literally no information. Okay. You can presume that. Probably, yeah. We don't know. Okay. Um, I did look it up on Google Earth and the images aren't. It doesn't Probably look like dated. the greatest area, yeah. but you do have the police headquarters right there. So how much of that is going on right in their own backyard, literally in their own backyard would be really interesting to me, but I'm not from Phoenix. So if we have any Phoenix listeners and tell yeah, us I'm that I'm not area. sure either, but it would make sense, I guess, for her to be there. Right. Or she was walking away. I'm not sure. Tiffany is filed as a missing persons, not only with the Phoenix Police Department, but also the California Missing Persons Database. Um, My thoughts on that are she obviously went missing out of Phoenix, so not only is she going to be a missing person that's there, the reason California maybe play a role in that is she has family maybe that is located in that Mm -hmm. state, and so that is why. Tiffany is a case with little to no information uh, like pretty much we just covered all of it at least she, she wasn't deemed a runaway right <laughs> she is just one in thousands and thousands of cases in the united states of missing people individuals who are drug users and are prostitutes and they definitely don't fit that mold of making major news news headlines right they aren't it's not that appeal um doesn't give that appeal and unfortunately if you look at her case uh her the photos from her case you can see that drugs definitely took over her life um I know we've talked about this before but uh you know the police department that did that progression yeah um so she probably already looked a little older than what she was. Well, I mean, as you can see, this doesn't have the one photo. Hold on one second. So there's a photo of her out there that you can, she looks like a 16-year-old. It looks like her driver's license photo. And then you can see the progression of just her facial features she starts looking older and worn out and Mm -hmm. you can just see the drugs have we've always we've talked about that before too is just it's a hard life to live so they've just life life ages them right 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 it definitely does and you can see that in the photos um the very first one she looks really young and happy and then you i mean 
can see and just her eyes get sunken in. They're dark. She's got, you know, looks just worn out and tired. Um, so it's sad because those cases don't always get covered on the major mainstream media. Mm -hmm. They look at that as she chose, you know, she chose that lifestyle and that's a hard life and that doesn't warrant any looking into or public opinion. Right. And her missing persons posters and all of the reports do state that they suspect foul play is involved in her disappearance, which is obvious because she's already at a higher risk for being in a vulnerable situation if she is prostituting herself out. You're already mm -hmm. at a risk. And then you're adding the fact that you're on drugs. And according to the DEA.gov, DEA.gov, 25% of human tracking survivors have an opioid problem. And that's just opioids. Wow. There's so many other drugs out there. So I think it's, you know, again, one of the reasons why I'm not huge, you know, you don't, put all of your gospel into statistics, but if 25% of human trafficking survivors have an opioid problem, it's safe to say that that number is definitely higher once you factor in all drugs right, or substance abuse issues in general. Exactly. And it'd be very easy to lure her into a car. It, exactly. Especially if there's that ex potential exchange and, you know, money for sexual favor and that money is going to either provide the next fix for her drug addiction or mm -hmm. put food on the table, pay for rent. I'm, I mean, basically the bare minimum, but most often right. if you're dealing with drugs, there's that. So yeah, 25% of human trafficking survivors, according to the DEA.gov website, 25% of human trafficking survivors have an opioid problem. Now, people need to realize that traffickers, like we were stating, they'll use those drugs and the addiction as leverage in exchange mm -hmm. for that sexual or labor accommodation. And since we know Tiffany was a known drug user and a prostitute, it's safe to say that she was most likely put into a situation that foul play was involved or she was abducted and you know yeah the options could be endless at that point so this is one of the ways how having your addiction to drugs can be exploited in exchange for sex to feed that addiction like we were stating right keep them compliant keep them keep yeah. them there right so the question with Tiffany is, did she meet the wrong person when she was working? Or is it a coincidence that she was last seen at the same location as the headquarters of the Phoenix Police Department? Did Tiffany have a fatal overdose while using drugs? Or did she simply walk away? I don't know. It could be, it could be any one of the three. That's the only problem is these cases are so hard to cover like that as well. Because we don't know. We don't right? know. We don't know. But that is... We definitely know that she was being trafficked and exploited in exchange for... For money. Money, for mm -hmm. drugs. Tiffany Marie Perry, who also goes by Treasure, Lisa Parker, or Lisa Perry, is 23 years old when she went missing on June 20th, 2003 from Phoenix, Arizona. She has blue eyes and natural blonde hair. 
And at the time of her disappearance, Tiffany was approximately five feet, five inches tall and weighed between 125 and 135 pounds. Her ears and nose were pierced and she has a scar above her left eyebrow. Tiffany would be 41 today and anyone with information on her case is asked to call the Phoenix Police Department at 602-262-6151. The next case, Megan, is Alyssa Mecklemore, and she was born Alyssa Angelique Mecklemore on Thursday, July 23rd, 1987. She is of the Aleut Native Tribe, and by 2009, she was living in Kent, Washington, where she had a young daughter. She was 21 years old and she was caring for her ailing mother, Gracie, who was suffering from an autoimmune skin tightening disease. On April 9th, 2009, Alyssa was away from her family home when she would receive a phone call from her grandmother, Barbara, with news that Alyssa needed to come home because her mother, Gracie, wasn't going to make it much longer. Now, they all lived together, but she just was away when this particular conversation and phone call happened. Alyssa Mm -hmm. did speak to her grandmother and informed her that she would be home, but she did not make it that night. And by the following morning, the family started to become concerned. That concern would grow into fear by that evening when the Kent Police Department showed up at the home informing the family they were responding to a 911 phone call made from Alyssa's phone at around 9.15 that night. What? Since the phone did not have GPS location tracking, the police decided to make a stop to the home of the phone's registered owner. With Alyssa not being there, the police... The phone call to the police um, with a, with the phone call from the police and Alyssa not being there, obviously they started an investigation into her disappearance. And sadly, Alyssa's mother would pass away three days later oh and never get to see her daughter again. Yeah. That's so sad. And they were all living together in the same house. Grandmother, her, mom, and, and, and daughter. And a yeah, so you had the grandma. Well, I don't know if the grandmother was living there, but you had Alyssa who was there. Mm-hmm. She had a daughter, but not sure how often she was there. But Alyssa was taking care of her mother, and mm-hmm. her and her mother were living together, yes. Wow. And they were all kind of taking turns caring for her mother. Mm. That's so sad. It's very because sad. Because you know that she would try really hard to get home for that. Unless something potentially stopped her. So I will say that Native American women are born into a huge margin of disadvantage. And it's widely reported that Native Native American women are at a much higher risk for falling victim to abuse, rape, drug addiction, and or becoming murdered or missing. Uh, That's not news to anyone unless you've been living under a rock the last handful of years wonder why i think there's a lot of different factors into that um my personal opinion is i think a lot of it when you look in to all of these subgroups if you will of disadvantaged and disproportionately advantaged groups mm-hmm. african americans native americans i see there being a lot of 
generational trauma. And, okay. And yeah. then I think it just, those cycles of abuse and perpetuating situations and circumstances just continue to evolve. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not, well, a, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a, an expert in that. But what I will say is that in 2016, the National Institute of Justice did a, study where they found that four out of five Native American women have experienced violence in their lifetime. That's 84.3%. Oh my God. And of that, 56.1% of those women had experienced sexual violence in their lifetime. Now, unfortunately, Alyssa McLemore is now one of these these victims she's now missing and to my knowledge the family has not been allowed to review the recordings themselves of the 911 phone call they have received transcripts in which it states that the caller which they're presuming to be Alyssa, says help me before a male person interrupts with i'll hurt you to which the line goes dead the entire length of the call is around it's been stated that it's around 10 seconds long oh my god she was so close yeah a few (sighs) weeks which is the why the police originally went to her parents so kudos to the police for yeah for actually checking in yeah doing a welfare check yeah a few weeks after Alyssa's disappearance the kent police would put out a public appeal for information that generated some leads and tips in her case several separate eyewitnesses came forward and said that they had possible sightings of Alyssa. One witness stated they saw Alyssa with an older white male who was around 50 to 60 years old and was approximately 5 feet 8 inches tall and around 180 pounds. The witness also states that the man was driving a green pickup truck while the other witness stated they saw Alyssa on Friday, April 10th, near the intersection of 30th Avenue South and Kent Des Moines Road. The eyewitness states Alyssa was approached by a green pickup truck 1990s model, mm-hmm. possibly with an Oregon license plate. Well, they got the green pickup truck in Seems both, to be a in common both cases, in both eyewitness accounts. Yeah, but to this day, nothing has come of it. And Alyssa, the question remains: Did Alyssa fall victim to a crime of opportunity, or was she out there? Right. And didn't she say before she went home she had something that she needed to do? Right. It didn't say why. I could not find exactly why she was out that day i do know that she was unemployed Mm. so um i haven't read anything that states that she was in to any type of sex work at all uh but you know unfortunately you do have to factor that in she comes from a, a a group that's already at a disadvantage she's already at a higher risk of substance abuse and she is unemployed she does have an ailing mother she fits mm-hmm. a lot of the vulnerabilities for it so it's possible but yeah, I and it also find sounds like a predominant female household too right overall more than 1.5 million american indian and alaska native women have experienced violence in their lifetime that is so weird to me. Like, what? why? Sad. I think if we 
truly understood why we wouldn't well (laughs) wouldn't be having the issue it's definitely an issue though i mean it's it's sad especially when you when you read some of the stats around these subgroups and these these demographics Mm -hmm. it's horrific and then the description a white male like there's a lot of those yeah it's not very generic the green pickup truck though i mean that could potentially be something i would like to know if the police actually were able to go to that intersection in kent des moines on kent des moines road and 30th avenue south and if there were any businesses that had surveillance videos Mm -hmm. i doubt now however many years later they're gonna have it because we all know how that goes but it would be interesting to see. It would be interesting to see what her outgoing phone calls were. I would think that at this point in the game, the police would start divulging some of the, this information that I understand while at certain points of an investigation, you're going to hold close to the vest. But as time moves on and as the investigation has no direction or you're at a standstill, why you wouldn't start releasing some of this information i mean she went missing in 2009 that's mm-hmm. 12 13 years ago you can yeah. start start divulging some of the information around her phone calls around her last known acquaintances exactly um you know do what we have any doing of, where was she going yeah it's 2009 i mean you definitely you know a lot of social Digital platforms were out there. Facebook was out there. Um, shit, I don't know. MySpace. MySpace. Mice might have still been out there around that time, <laughs> but dating sites were around that time. Um, I mean, so it would be interesting to see if they did any of that investigation, but to my knowledge, her case is at a standstill. Wow. Yeah. Alyssa Angelique McLemore was 21 years old when she went missing on Thursday, April 9th, 2009. She has brown eyes and black hair, and at the time of her disappearance, Alyssa was 5 feet, 2 inches tall, and weighed approximately 130 pounds. She has a scar on her abdomen and is of Native Alaskan Aleut descent. Anyone with information about Alyssa is asked to contact the Kent Police Department at 253-856-5800 or the Washington State Patrol at one 800 5 four three five six seven eight the last case tonight megan is jose alfaro and he is actually a male survivor of human trafficking Uh, i came across his case and thought that we would add it to this episode because of how he was trafficked Mm -hmm. so jose alfaro left his abusive home at 15 in a quest to find peace he always knew from a young age that he was different but he was growing up in a small conservative texas town uh with a family that was pretty super religious okay so you can imagine where this is going he was basically taught that gay people are going to go to hell because nobody else on earth sins and i'm pretty sure the bible does say that no no one sin is greater than the others so just throwing that out there but he basically grew up thinking that you know he was wrong and he was going to go to hell but at some point when he's becoming a young man he starts having relationships with other men online that you know that he meets Mm -hmm. uh and the secret kind of comes out and 
he basically leaves his house because he has no other option. Um, and he would bounce around before landing in the home and in the arms of a man that he basically thought loved him. Oh, wow. However, we all know where this is going. The man groomed him, providing false promises of a career in massage therapy, stability, a place to live, all the things that this young, vulnerable teenager is lacking and not having. Yeah, this wants, older, needs. Everything. This older man is, is providing those things for him, but... Jose's a minor and he can't legally obtain the paperwork and the requirements to get this massage therapy job. So what does his partner do? Let's him observe and to which eventually led down the path of him, Jose, being human trafficked through providing erotic massages. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, he's a vulnerable young teenager leaving home his trafficker totally finds out these vulnerabilities um like and exploits we stated them. and yeah. absolutely and he exploits them now the department of justice commissioned a study in 2016 and it's called youth involvement in the sex trade and from that they discovered that about 36 percent of child trafficking victims that are caught up in the U.S. sex exploitation industry are are boys. Wow. Yeah. But we also have to remember that men, unfortunately, are less likely to come forward about mm -hmm. being victim victimized because of the whole stigma of you're a man, this can't happen to you. Right. You should be strong. That whole... Don't show any weakness. Don't let anybody know what you're thinking, feeling. Right. So I would think that 36% is probably a little higher. But according to this study in 2016, 36% of people, of young kids in the sex trade were young boys. Wow. Now, Jose was one of the lucky ones, and he was able to escape this crime and exploitation. He would um, actually later hear from an acquaintance of the person that trafficked him and found out that he had been arrested for doing something similar to another young boy, which prompted Jose to call the national, the U.S. National Human Trafficking Hotline and tell his story and now the human trafficking hotline was actually able to put him in touch with the prosecutors of that case from the case of the other young boy and, and he's still with the person that had him i'm sorry he was still with the guy at that no, time no he had escaped okay he okay. ended up escaping he was one of the lucky ones that escaped from this crime and this exploitation but years later oh, okay or okay. a while later he would find like a mutual he would run into a mutual connection with someone that knew his trafficker and that is when he learned that that trafficker was arrested for Doing exploiting another young boy which caused jose to call the national center um i'm sorry the human trafficking hotline share his story and they put him in touch with the prosecutors on that case wow. to which he then testified 
at the trial the for this trafficker that this happened to him and his trafficker was sentenced to 30 years wow i know i thought that was that's an amazing a pretty high, story yeah that's a high sentence too because we haven't seen anything like that before right i i mean i would think more would be appropriate but it also goes with what evidence <laughs> they had and i understand that um but yeah 30 years for trafficking a boy i mean that's i mean i will say i'm i'm not unimpressed um you know it always can be a, a little more but 30 is a good number and depending on how old this person is who knows how long he'll be mm-hmm. um hopefully he's not eligible for parole i will say that jose alfaro is quoted um in an interview that he gave with npr in 2021 he states that that wasn't the life I had planned for myself. And I get so emotional because I had so many dreams. I had so many goals. There were so many things I wanted to do. Never in a million years did I think that I'd be a prostitute. This is directly from that interview with NPR wow. in 2021. Yeah. At the time, he probably didn't even think of himself as a prostitute when he was first getting into it. Unfortunately, well, he probably didn't, especially if that, you know, he's already young, that person's grooming them Mm -hmm. and you know convincing them to do this of course they're going to convince them that it's not and you're absolutely right a lot of times with when I talk to people that do street outreach and do talk to people that are prostitutes and that are on drugs that they don't they do not identify as being human trafficked Mm -hmm. at all they don't see it they don't they see it as like a livelihood a way of life right but and and it it is in that moment but there's so many options for them Mm mm-hmm so those are the three cases that we are covering, three different ways that people could potentially have been trafficked or were trafficked. And yeah, yeah, that's what so we, we got. Had- so don't forget about the HTTC 2023 promo code for 20% off of your always enough or courage but fear sweater this offer is only valid while supplies last so be sure guys to take full advantage of this 20 percent off now and help support survivors of human trafficking it's simple just go visit lastwordbysl.com and use the promo code httc2023 at checkout and you'll receive your 20 percent off now before we go the main closing discussions for this episode megan i think are don't do drugs <laughs> Don't talk do to, drugs. Talk to your teenagers. Yes. Be aware. Make sure. Understand. Yeah. Be aware of the risks, especially if mm-hmm. you are someone that falls in that disproportionate and disadvantaged demographic. Yeah. Obviously, don't do drugs because that's already going to put you at a vulnerable spot. And if your kid is gay, just let them be gay and love them. Who cares? <laughs> Move on to the next crisis. <laughs> Before we go, just to give a quick recap, Tiffany Marie Perry, who also went by Treasure, Lisa Parker, or Lisa Perry, was 23 years old when she was last seen on Friday, June 20th, 2003, in Phoenix, Arizona. She has blue eyes and natural blonde hair, and at the time of her disappearance, Tiffany was approximately 5'5 and weighed between 125 and 135 pounds. Her ears and nose were pierced, and she has a scar above her left eyebrow. 
Anyone with information is asked to call the Phoenix Police Department. Alyssa Angelique McLemore was 21 years old when she went missing on Thursday, April 9th, 2009. She has brown hair, black eyes, and at the time of her disappearance, she was 5 feet 2 inches tall and weighed approximately 130 pounds. She has a scar above her abdomen and is a Native American from the Aleut tribe. Anyone with information is asked to contact the Kent Police Department. And tonight, I do want to say that we are asking our listeners to donate to the Charlie Project. We use them a lot for a baseline on information regarding our cases that we cover. So we want to acknowledge the work that they put together to make all of this possible for our investigative research. Mm -hmm. If you would, we are so kindly asking you all to donate to the Charlie Project at charlieproject.org. And as always, please review, rate, like, follow, and share. We have been reading some of your reviews, and we do take your advice into consideration. If you like what you hear, though, please give us that five-star review and leave a review for us on whatever platform you're streaming from now. It will help us grow and reach more people and give us the possibility of helping solve a mystery. Until next week, true crime friends, I will remain loud, bold, and out there. And you fine folks, stay vigilant, be aware, and remember, what the world needs now is love, not hate. (laughs) And we out. Done. All right, we're done. We're going to have a lot of...